This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com slash iHeart. That's lifelock.com slash iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. The Home Depot wants every mom to have their own outdoor oasis this Mother's Day. Whether that be a new space to relax or a beautiful garden upgrade, at The Home Depot, you can give mom a gift that's as unique as she is with a stylish and comfortable place to entertain or relax for the mom who does it all. And with convenient delivery, you won't have to stress over getting it to her either. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers for the mom who's great with gardening? Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to Bring out the most in our patios, walkways, and gardens with the Home Depot's Mother's Day Savings Event happening now. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Start your Mother's Day shopping and saving today by checking out the Home Depot's extensive selection online at homedepot.com or directly in-store near you with convenient pickup and delivery options. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. The Home Depot, how doers get more done. Hey. 
Hello, this is Let's Talk About Myths, baby. And I am your host, Liv, here with another very special and very exciting of my conversations episodes. So today I sat down with Dr. Jeremy Swist. We didn't actually sit down. I don't know why I phrase it like that. I mean, it's a pandemic. We talked over video. But all the same, I talked to Dr. Jeremy Swist all about the fascinating world of classical reception in metal music, which I did not really know was a thing until I started following him on Twitter and then sort of we become Twitter friends and I've learned so much about that, learned obviously even more in this conversation, but it's really quite fascinating the volume of classical reception in metal music and the nuances, the intricacies of it, and honestly, just really fascinating episode. You should definitely listen to it, even if you're not into metal music. Uh, You know, I think it's just a really fascinating take on classics and mythology. We talked about the reception of mythology, but also history um, and the way it is used and also misused in this world, very similarly to how it is in the wider world of not just metal music, but just sort of taking in the classics in general. It's it's a fine line sometimes, and it's quite interesting to see how that intersects in metal music. We talk a lot about um, specific songs and albums in this conversation, and so Jeremy was nice enough to actually put together a Spotify playlist so that if you are interested in listening to the songs that we talk about or more um, songs related to classical reception, um, you can check it out on the Spotify playlist. It is in the description of your episode, so if you're listening on a podcatcher right now, just click on those details and you can pop it right up for when you're done listening to the episode. We are making it convenient for you. And with all of that out of the way, please enjoy this episode. It was so much fun to record. I I mean, I say this every time, but I honestly am just so thrilled with the way my own knowledge gets to broaden with all of these conversations, things I never thought I would be talking about with anyone and learning so much. And then in turn, I get to share it all with you and all you nerds get to get even nerdier and learn so much with me. It is just such a very fun thrill. So I hope you like it. Enjoy. Conversations. Let's talk about metal, baby. Classical reception in metal music with Dr. Jeremy Swist. Here today with Dr. Jeremy Swist, uh, of here to talk about mythology in metal music. So thank you so much for for chatting with me today and dealing with the repetitive nature of my introductions. Yeah, happy to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Oh, happy to. We've been talking on Twitter quite a lot, especially about things like this, but or mythology in general, or the darkness that is the world of mythology on Twitter sometimes and various things. So it seems only right to actually like have you on the podcast to talk about it. So what you study classical reception in metal music specifically, right? Yes, correct. Yeah. Um, mythology and, and history and, you know, um, related topics and also some Byzantine Empire stuff as well. 
that makes sense that that would be involved in it a lot as well it's Mm -hmm. very like kind of it's interesting to say it has that kind of like I hate the word vibe and yet somehow it's sometimes only the the right word Mm -hmm. because it's obviously metal music wouldn't have really had a vibe in classical in the classical world but it does seem to just suit its suit the connection so well but I think this specifically came up because of uh Medusa because I think Medusa does she she appears in a lot of metal songs is she kind of a bigger one or one you study more rather absolutely so um you know this is something that you can even quantify um you go on to the uh website uh for the what's called the encyclopedia metallum which is you know a website where it's essentially it's a it's an open source database of uh every metal band that has been around since the 70s uh that has recorded material and you can find lyrics and artwork and all of that and it has an advanced search where you can type in the keyword medusa um and to see where it shows up in lyrics and there are literally hundreds of songs and uh bands that either have songs on medusa or are called medusa or have concept albums on medusa um she's very popular and has been since uh, the 80s when um, bands like Angel Witch and Anthrax uh, uh, had songs on Medusa. So for instance, uh, one of the very first instances of classical reception in heavy metal is in 1980, uh, where the band Angel Witch, they're a, a British new wave hit, British heavy metal band, have a song called The Gorgon. Um, and I like to mention that because it's not technically a song about Medusa, because it's actually a song based on a 1960s horror movie called The Gorgon, which has, I think, Peter Cushing and Richard and uh, Vincent Price in it. Oh my God. I can't believe I didn't know that existed. And uh, yeah, I think you'd like it. Um, it's uh, basically, it's about in somehow Steno and Uriale, one of them, the Sisters of Medusa, managed to, uh, in the 20th century, take possession of some woman and such that she is able to, you know, turn men into stone. Um, and so uh, I think the plot has something to do with, uh, like, uh, this woman's lover ends up having to, well, sorry about spoilers. Uh, <laughs> For a movie from the 1960s, you're okay. Has to, ends up having to kill her in the end. Um, so it sort of has that tragic sense to it. Yeah. Um, and so that's what this song is about. And uh, what this song also does, you know, drawing from the film is it sort of sets the precedent of how Medusa is received in heavy metal music in general as an archetypal femme fatale. Um, Mm -hmm. And this is an image, uh, an archetype that is just all over metal, you know, since the eighties where, you know, powerful women, you know, are kind of viewed as, you know, threats to masculine control um, whether they're actually dangerous because they're witches uh, or they have some sort of, you know, power um, or simply because of their sexual power. Um, and the kind of that, the threat that that poses to masculine control where, you know, you become enslaved to, you know, some woman who uses her sexual power to, to emasculate you. And so, for instance, the probably the most well-known metal song on Medusa is the song Medusa by Anthrax from 1985. And if you read that lyrics to that song, you know, it kind of, there's a lot of sexual innuendo in how it talks about Medusa, you know, how she lures you in, she sucks you in to her cave. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's not very subtle. Um, (laughs) I'm looking up the lyrics. (laughs) Right. But you see that, you know, 
in general where both in album artwork and in in the lyrics she is you know a typical kind of heavy metal femme fatale she has she becomes kind of a sorceress that uh you know brings men under her spell turns them to stone and uh in the artwork she's often highly sexualized yet at the same time she's also depicted the way Harryhausen, you know, did mm. in the 1981 Clash of the Titans, where she has that very serpentine form. Uh, and so it sort of brings those sort of contradictions together very much. This sort of, you know, this, uh, her as this kind of temptress, um, but also this this very inhuman monster, you know, in order to be, to otherize and exoticize her. Yeah, while simultaneously keeping her sexualized. That image mm-hmm. is so interesting because it's become like the Medusa. Mm-hmm. Like, every version of her these days it seems in any kind of popular culture depicts her in that kind of way where she has this snake body but obviously mythologically there's nothing to suggest she ever had a snake body Mm -hmm. but it is such it's a way to make her more monstrous because she isn't really described specifically with any details of monstrosity Mm -hmm. i mean obviously there's like the gorgon imagery but i always find it interesting that yet that's almost exclusively like labeled as a gorgon imagery versus medusa by name Mm-hmm. I have a lot of Medusa theories that are not fully founded in in like actual archaeology or like any kind of academic research, but just based on obsessively reading everything about her and then being attacked by men on the internet. <laughs> but that's an interesting thing to yeah, like keep her sexualized while also making her exclusively monstrous. Yeah. So for instance, if you if you look up uh, um, in terms of album artwork, uh, there's a band called Axe Battler. I, I think they're uh, they're from South America and. Uh, one of their albums, uh, which has a song about, you know, Perseus and Medusa, shows her in her very Harryhausen-esque serpentine form, but also her, you know, her upper body is highly um, sexualized more than, much more than Harryhausen. And then in stark contrast, uh, you also see uh, Perseus depicted pretty much like Conan the Barbarian with like, you know, highly muscly and with long hair and uh, a loincloth and, uh, and you know, very different. Very, his his masculine body is very, you know, is in total contrast to Medusa's very, you know, eroticized body. And so this is sort of an also, another, this is sort of the flip side to a lot of classical reception in terms of male figures and heroes is they are sort of, uh, you know, they are seen as sort of Conan the Barbarian types, uh, you know, these sort of if you look at the uh, band Manowar, for instance, uh, their artwork as well as their the way that they dressed and looked in at least in the '80s, you know, it was very easy to see figures like Achilles and Perseus uh, and certainly uh, Heracles, you know, fitting this mold, because in general, metal is uh, interested in these hyper-masculine figures uh, who kind of represent this sort of almost this Homeric warrior ethos of, um, you know, individuality and glory and sort of, you know, the individual against society and against the world, you know, they're self-sufficient and, uh, you know, they are able to, you know, exert that sort of patriarchal control. It's also a very kind of almost modern take on that heroism too, Mm -hmm. because that like, super muscular, it's not really something that shows up in a lot of Greek imagery. Like they're muscular, but they're not like, Conan the Barbarian muscular um, or like even the, you know, more recent Hercules adaptations where mm-hmm. the guys are just like absolutely jacked mm-hmm. is not really something that was actually depicted in Greek imagery. 
Um, and it, I think it probably would have been hard for them to get that jacked given mm-hmm. it's a hundred percent based in like modern ideals and like modern methods and all those things. But it's, it's an interesting part to kind of like make that even more like hyper masculine than they mm-hmm. actually would have been back then. Yeah. And you know, and that's, and that's another parallel I draw with kind of what heavy metal does and what say Homeric poetry does and the, you know, the base paintings and whatnot that sort of are based on it uh, is, you know, it is a modern, very much modern kind of physical ideal. Um, but, you know, Homer talks about how, you know, uh, this is how the heroes were back in the age of heroes when, you know, men were real manly men and they could, you know, hurl stones that 10 people today couldn't lift and all of that. Um, and uh, and that sort of gets at, you know, another major reason why heavy metal, you know, tends to be drawn to, you know, not just mythology, but also, you know, ancient history and medieval history is there's that sense of nostalgia. You know, heavy metal is very much a transgressive genre that, you know, loves to kind of reject, you know, modern capitalist post uh, industrialized um, neoliberal society in favor of some kind of and try to escape to some sort of fantasy of the past or mythology or fantasy literature and all of that, where they see sort of a more authentic humanity that was somehow lost or rejected by mod- by the modern day. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's very much, I think, the way that Homer and kind of the Greeks of the historical period would look back to the Bronze Age and think of it as this kind of past that they're trying to bring back but is in other ways kind of irretrievable and because they're so disillusioned with you know the way society is now with you know for whatever reason yeah that's really interesting and i mean yeah you even have so it is specific where in the some you know some takes on the early myths have it there's actually like the different ages of man and therefore like completely irretrievable these this like old age where just they all died out and they're all gone which is something i haven't really been able to touch upon on the podcast too much because i just feel like it's too in the weeds but it's an interesting thing to think about where it is just like this completely irretrievable past but that just gets like romanticized in this way where it's just like oh today we're so we're awful let's like look back on this world where yeah we're men we're men and all of that (laughs) nonsense (laughs) yeah and that sort of gets into some of the politics of of this kind of reception especially um with bands that you know are more upfront with their politics um and their extreme politics um you know heavy metal you know especially in its more extreme genres of you know black metal and death metal is extreme music that can attract extreme views often is sort of the cliche there but you know it's not those genres aren't inherently you know right wing but you know a lot of because a lot of left wing people you know play it too but um you know for instance there's something i've been exploring is how a lot of bands um you know that are you know politically explicitly right wing kind of have these nostalgic narratives of bringing back this mythologized past um particularly like alexander's or the roman empire and they think that this past can be achieved by this kind of nihilistic apocalyptic war uh, in which basically civilization is just torn down and then the only people who survive are, you know, the people who are, you know, the most fit to. And so for certain bands, that's, uh, that's, that's, it's pretty clear what kind of people they mean. And that can, and this, and by doing this, you can then return to a society in which these really, these patriarchal masculine warrior values are, are acceptable again. 
Um, mm-hmm. You know, uh, for for one thing, it's like uh, a couple. There's a couple bands in Australia, New Zealand. Um, you know who you know, sing about, uh, you know, we need to go back to, we need to, there's this, there's this one band in called Diocletian in New Zealand, where they have a song called Restart Civilization. Uh, and uh, basically, it's, the whole song is just Restart Civilization, Romulus bidding iron beginning. Uh, we need to go back to Romulus and Remus, because that was, you know, that's where we need to go again, to in order to have society kind of aligned with the, the state of nature. A, um, in that sort of way. Um, and so they have like, and this band uses Romulus and Remus imagery to sort of convey that idea that, uh, you know, the Roman Roman values is what we need to return to, you know, the values that made uh, Rome and its people, you know, able to dominate the world. Yeah, great values. <laughs> yeah, you can see how that that's problematic. And, you know, and that gets into, you know, the, polit- the, the politics of, you know, a lot of bands kind of singing about, you know, Virgil's Aeneid uh, or the Spartans and, you know, other, you know, classical topics is, especially bands in like Italy and Greece, but elsewhere too, in the bands like Australia and the British, you know, colonization places, um, you know, where these are cool things to sing about. Um, certainly, I mean, you know, just because you're doing this podcast doesn't mean you are uh, invalidating a lot of, you know, the awful things that happen in these myths, but, you know, some people who sing about, you know, these topics, you know, are using them for, you know, nationalistic purposes. You know, this is this is my heritage, this is my tradition, you know, that I'm singing about. And, you know, and again, that's fine. Um, but, you know, sometimes that is a slippery slope into, you know, this is my tradition and it's the superior tradition. And I'm trying to preserve, you know, my culture and which I see as under threat. So there's some trickiness to this that is, uh, you know, it has to be addressed with a lot of tact and nuance, which is what I've kind of encountered lately. Yeah. So, well, that leads me right into it. It seems at least based on like following you on Twitter for some time now that there's there's definitely a level of like pretty obviously white supremacist bands in that world and trying to kind of suss out which ones enjoy this heritage and sing about i don't i don't know if i want to use the word heritage but enjoy this like the world of of classical of the classical world in general and those that are using it in that kind of nationalist i mean white supremacist kind of way right like and i think that's a that's classics pretty broadly Mm -hmm. it's not specific to metal at all it is specific to kind of classical um usage almost on the internet internet's Mm -hmm. obviously the best way to kind of find it um but yeah, it's a common thing in general that that classics have been used by white supremacists to perpetuate this like nonsensical ideal of like an ideal Western civilization that they, in, you know, started the Western civilization as if they did not have any interactions with every single person to the south and the east of them. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so so yeah, like how big of an of an issue kind of is that in metal or it seems like you've encountered it a lot is kind of all I have to say. <laughs> so, you know, again, um, this is the case with extremists in any group where it is, you know, a small minority of bands, but they're a vocal minority and they get a lot of uh, attention. Um, and um, and Keith Con Harris uh, kind of theorized this, that, uh, you know, one reason that they are so charismatic is they have what's called uh, transgressive uh, cultural capital. 
okay, um, people are drawn to metal music because it's transgressive. It's a way of kind of channeling one's disenchantment with, you know, reality or just society or in some aspect of it, which, which is what it's been like since the beginning when Black Sabbath, you know, wrote War Pigs, you know, and, and, uh, Electric Funeral and uh, songs like that, um, responding to the Cold War. Uh, and then people are drawn to also to just artists who are, you know, transgressive, you know, and they see the transgression, whether it's their extreme politics, whether it's, you know, people, artists in Norway burning down churches, um, you know, they do all these, these terrible, these things that we would say, think are terrible, but because they are connected with music that is, you know, that speaks to them, um, suddenly they are kind of seen, it's, it's seen as, you know, almost a forbidden fruit, um, mm. to listen to this stuff and that's why a lot of these bands are more tolerated by a lot of of metalheads is that you know they're not necessarily accepting the politics of you know some artist like Varg Vikanista who is big in the Norwegian black metal movement and is he the one like the one of the sort of original Yes. Um, in... Yeah. So he he was one of the original kind of um, second wave of, of black metal in in Norway, and he burned mm-hmm. down churches, and he murdered one of his bandmates, or, or was another, say, another, another person in the scene. And yeah, this has been um, well documented. Um, but he mm-hmm. still he served. He was in prison for you know over a decade, and then got out because the Norwegian prison system, you know, has rehabilitate they rehabilitate and you know they don't imprison you for that long and now he's living in France and he's still got you know a YouTube channel and you know he's still mm. writing books that kind of espouse this sort of hateful ideology but you know of course to him he's you know saying oh i'm just preserving european heritage here and and my culture and and he does touch on some you know classical mythology you know though he's mostly into norse stuff um so for instance uh you know, one of his uh, ambient albums that he has released, you know, about 10 years ago is uh, it has a, uh, it uses as its cover art, a painting by a Spanish artist, I think, uh, Opiano Checo. Um, and it's uh, El Rapto uh, de Proserpina. And that's, it's a painting of Hades abducting Persephone um, on his, on his chariot. And uh, I actually emailed him, um, tried to reach out to him to ask like what he's, using that artwork for he hasn't gotten back to me um and this is a common thing where you know uh i'm trying to i'm not trying to give a platform to these fans but i'm trying at least to see what they have to say about what they're doing with this stuff um just to see like what are they really thinking here yeah like what's the intention often they don't reply um, <laughs> kind of might answer the question a little bit <laughs> okay so that was a, that was a bit of a a di- of a digression there but yeah that's uh, my fault it's because i've heard his story on my favorite murder which is the podcast i listen to obsessively all the time and they color- covered the death metal murders and i was like oh, i know that name so yeah but uh you know the, the the point here that i think i was making um if i can remember it <laughs> uh <laughs> is uh you know the reason that this sort of stuff persists and is you know tolerated is you know because of um, a lot of people who listen to metal music sort of who are who metal heads you know throughout the world you know um at least traditionally you know have been you know um working class white men um and so you know because the politics of that are espoused by this music you know they might reject it but they are threatened by it and so Mm -hmm. they're just like oh just enjoy the music separate the art from the artist you know so much for the tolerant left right you know (laughs) freedom of freedom of expression and all that and like 
Where on the other hand, you know, you are giving platform, you know, uh, to these bands. And, you know, and my concern here is that, you know, this is how a lot of people who listen to these bands might be introduced to the classical world through the interpretations of bands that, you know, sing about the Roman empire in a certain way or about Zeus and all of that in a certain way. And just, just a caveat here, I'm not in favor of like censoring these bands, you know, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I don't believe in political censorship, but I, you know, I do believe in informing people, you know, that, uh, not to platform these bands if you can help it, but ultimately it's their choice whether to, you know, to keep supporting these artists. So, yeah. Well, I think it's really interesting too. And, and the thing that could, that often comes from that type of music. And I say this kind of from my own desire to be different and to be, go like against the grain when I was a teenager, cause I like went to punk but the, the idea is the same, right? Like I went to a pretty well-off high school where I was, did not even live in the area to go there, let alone like was the level of all the people that I went to high school with. And so in, in my like need to rebel, I went punk where I just like listened to angry music that everyone thought was screaming in their ears. And I, you know, dyed my hair pink and black and wore chains everywhere, safety pins on everything I owned. And I think I look back on it with some really entertaining memories at times. I was very creative in my ridiculous form. Not to say that there's anything wrong with overall looking like that, but I I went hard. I went ridiculous. But yeah, I mean, I think that the thing is teenagers are so drawn to that often because they feel so disaffected that it is probably important to point out some of these things when like a teenager could be coming to the classical world, but specifically in that kind of way, and then automatically be introduced to this idea this like dangerous idea of the, the the so-called Western civilization of it all, mm-hmm. this idea that Greece and Rome was white and that they, you know, gave us everything we have and that there's there was absolutely no one else of influence and all those different things that are factually untrue, but are so broadly amplified on the internet. Yeah. And, you know, the other thing that, you know, to keep in mind here is, you know, a lot of classical reception, whether it's, you know, problematic or not uh, in metal is, you know, it's taking a lot of cues from popular culture. You know, we already mentioned, discussed, you know, they're taking on the Harryhausen Medusa, for instance. So, you know, a lot of metal that, you know, treats ancient history and mythology is inspired almost sometimes directly um, by Hollywood, video games, et et cetera. So for instance, uh, you know, one of the first uh, concept albums based on the Odyssey, um, which uh, came out, I think, in 1999 by a a German band, I think, called uh, Tarot's Mist. There are whole lines from the Amand Asante uh, Odyssey Mm. from 1997 that that are in it. And that's not a problematic reception, but it's just an example that, you know, there's you know, they're not necessarily looking at the primary sources and a lot of this is filtered through through popular culture. And that's certainly the case when, you know, uh, 300 came out in 2006. Mm-hmm. Suddenly a ton of, there were a ton of metal songs that were on the Battle of Thermopylae that came out, you know, in huh. Greece and the United States and, and all over the place. But as a counterpoint to this, it's also good to keep in mind is, you know, there is, as in the field of classics, there's a reckoning in the, the global metal scene um, where you know, people are confronting kind of the the legacy of racism, uh, sexism, and uh, and other um, kind of consequences of sort of this sort of this patriarchal, you know, white 
kind of foundations of heavy metal, which are not inherently, you know, white supremacists, but often is, you know, can can go in those directions, just as with classics, right? And so today, you know, the, the metal scene is very global and diverse. People of every color, creed, and class, um, you know, listen to and play and write about uh, metal and, you know, all over the place. And so I think, uh, you know, there's 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 being a shift in not only how metal is sort of managing itself in terms of calling out uh, some of these problematic uh, artists, but it also affects classical reception as well. You know, if you look at like the myth of Medusa, for instance, if we want to come back to that, but also, you know, Medea and others, you know, uh, we see that more nuanced or different perspectives on the myths like that are being uh, are coming into play with some songs. So for instance, there's a, a French Canadian band called Spectral Wound that uh, a couple of years ago uh, released a song called The Slaughter of Medusa. And uh, if you read that song, it's, uh, you know, it's the real monsters uh, in this myth are Perseus and Athena. Hey, they're the one, you know, Perseus is, you know, he is killing her by deception. He's not very heroic. And then, mm. you know, Athena is, you know, really the monster here for inflicting this suffering, this double suffering upon her, you know, being transformed and then being and then being killed. And also, you know, the fact that metal is, you know, demographically diversifying means that more women and, uh, you know, and uh, and people of color are getting into the scene and and. Uh, being musicians. Um, and so we see, you know, in the past couple decades, more bands with, say, women musicians um, writing songs about Medea or Cassandra or Medusa um, and others written in the first person from those women's point of view and presenting kind of their case in, in more nuanced ways. And so I that, find that really refreshing. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. I mean, I'm thrilled to hear that there's a version of Medusa like that, mm -hmm. um, especially from a Canadian. Technically, I'm French Canadian, so I'll hold on to that, even though I don't really speak French. Um, but <laughs> that's very exciting. But so I'm curious, you sent me a version or, or a song about Medusa to mm -hmm. listen to. And I found that one quite interesting because um, it was like a little bit sympathetic. I would say it was like probably overall sympathetic. I don't remember what the band was called, except that they used a pie symbol as an yeah. N. Um, yeah. even <laughs> right yes I was like Eva is it Eva Poir and then I once I closed <laughs> it and looked at the YouTube I was like no it's not okay I'm learning very slowly learning ancient Greek so I'm finding myself making sure I pronounce out every time I I see a Greek character mm -hmm. um so yeah but I was curious your thoughts on that like why it was the one that you sent me to listen to kind of yeah tell me about that song well, uh, that's definitely a more recent song in sort of this evolution of kind of Medusa's reception in metal. And I also like that song from a you know a musical's perspective. It's a yeah, it was, it's I a, liked it. It's a symphonic metal song, um, and uh, you know it's um, you know I like the chorus a lot, so it, it's often stuck in my head. But uh, you know, we already discussed you know some of the earlier songs by like Anthrax and other bands where you know Medusa is the other. She is exoticized, mm -hmm. um, you know, sexualized. She is the you know the some sort of magical threat to you know masculine control. You know, she's terrorizing the world and therefore needs you know 
order and civilization, you know, uh, need to be brought in by the male hero and, and take care of her, which, you know, is reading a lot more into the myth than was there, as we know. Uh, yeah, but it's... these later versions, such as by Edenmore, um, finally, we have songs where Medusa is given her own voice. We're seeing from her point of view and she has more agency. Um, so because there are some songs sort of more recent where, you know, she's viewed with more sympathy. They bring in kind of the backstory with, with, uh, you know, her assault by Poseidon um, and, you know, Athena's transformation. Um, but nevertheless, she is still a monster that needs to be dealt with. But in this song, for instance, what's interesting about the song is I kind of see the song as sort of a, it's written like Ovid's Heroides um, in a way mm. where, you know, it's Medusa kind of writing a letter to Poseidon being like, you know, ever since our, you know, that night we were together, you know, uh, my life has been changed forever. You know, um, I'm hideous. Um, you know, nobody, nobody loves me anymore. And I just feel, I feel like I've lost something. Um, you know, so there's sort of a, you know, there's sort of a, a, a allegorical reading perhaps going on there too. But what's interesting about the song is she doesn't specifically kind of discuss the nature of her encounter with Poseidon. Mm-hmm. You know, um, she seems conflicted about what 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 exactly happened, um, which I think is is I imagine you know I you know I I can't know, but I imagine this is sort of something that goes through you know perhaps people's minds after you know some sort of encounter like that um, that they're working through and processing kind of the trauma and everything. Um, mm-hmm. So I found that I found that a very interesting uh, take. Um, where it's not, where it's neither, you know, condemning Medusa as a monster, but not, but also giving her some agency and her own sort of complexity as, as a thinking human being, rather than just simply, you know, pitying her as a passive victim. Yeah. It hit me. It was, it's very sad. Like it's very, it's a very sad take on her, but it is very aimed at Poseidon in yeah, mm-hmm. in an interesting way, um, which I think too is like, is almost, you know, even more mythologically accurate because as you well know, the phrasing on her encounter with Poseidon when we're talking about like very early sources is pretty up in the air. Mm-hmm. Um and which I find quite interesting. So, yeah, it's nice to have a take like that where, you know, it's not not using the Ovid version, but as you know, every angry man on Twitter likes to point out Ovid changed it and Ovid did all these things and Ovid this and Ovid that. And so, yeah, to have it be like a little bit more specific to, to the original, um, I don't know. I'm not saying original myth, take back that word original, <laughs> but to the early, the early sources. Right. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's just an interesting thing. And one of the things you were saying earlier just brought me back to the most recent, um, medusa explosion that i think you also experienced to that time on on twitter like last month because somebody told me that her death was necessary like she deserved to die because one she'd been tormenting the lands nonsense and that also that it like alleviated some kind of like weight on the world that like killing her actually like solved a major world problem which is something i've heard before and i hate it so much i have to talk about it right now because it's like this idea that a woman's death is somehow beneficial to like an entire planet mm-hmm. it, it's so dark and it's just this way of people making themselves feel better about medusa or this way of like 
I always say people, I mean men. Um, but it's like this way of, of having men like have this acceptance that like, no, no, it's fine that she was killed. She needed to be killed. Like it, you know, it did this whole thing. There's, there's a podcast that last time I talked about Medusa, I had recommended to me and I listened to it and I won't name it because I'm about to say how crazy it was, but it was this whole like epic theory of all these like like psychological and and mythological mythological but also like um I don't even know the word I want but basically this idea that like Medusa represented this huge huge darkness in the world and that her death was necessary and but they used all these like absolutely crazy theories and didn't list sources at all or like as if that there was a sort of metaphysical is the word I want like as if there was this like metaphysical reason why Medusa had to be killed in this way where I'm like what do you think Greek mythology like they they were just understanding the things around them like there there's not I mean there's there's definitely more to it than that and there's more to it than than I think that you know the stories say but at the same time like the story of Medusa, especially in terms of how little actually is written on it in ancient sources, like is not that it is not some metaphysical, like if anything, like I could argue that the Iliad, like the Trojan War is some kind of like deeper hmm. thing from the ancient world. But anyway, could go on forever. But that yeah. one really got to me because it's just so dark. And like, I know it's the, the people would tell you explicitly it's not misogynistic, but it inherently is misogynistic to suggest this because like nothing in the ancient sources suggested whatsoever. Yeah, uh, definitely. Like, yeah, she was, this wasn't like, you know, the labors of Heracles or Theseus where these were, you know, menaces to the mainland of Greece that, you know, mm -hmm. were killing people and stuff. She was on the edge of the world. You know, she was keeping yeah. to herself. He had to go. And the other thing, and this is, uh, I think it was amidst all this, uh, you know, this, uh, this shit storm on Twitter is uh, <laughs> yeah. somebody uh, came in being like, well, Perseus had to kill her because he was trying to save his mother today. And I was like, Perseus killed Medusa because he needed a wedding gift for Polydectes, whom he thought Polydectes was going to be married to some other woman and didn't had no idea that Polydectes was just trying to get rid of him so that he could get at Danae. So uh, yes, he inadvertently, you know, saved his mother by, you know, eventually coming back uh, and uh, turning Polydectes to stone. But like, he had no idea that yeah. he was doing this for any other reason than basically getting a, a hunting trophy uh, to give as a wedding gift because he didn't have any horses. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's the thing about her too. Like to, in, in modern representation of her, it's like she's in this cave full of statues suggesting that she's killed all these people. She's turned them all to stone. And, and I think I have, I haven't read reread Ovid super recently. So I think maybe he suggests that. But no other sources that I have ever found, and I have read a lot on Medusa in terms of ancient sources, suggest that she had actually turned anyone to stone. Like, there's there's no evidence that she did. Like, sure, she had the ability, but we don't actually have, like, examples of, like, people she harmed in that way. The only but obvious examples are once her head is off and mm -hmm. then Perseus is using it, which is definitely not her fault. Mm -hmm. But this idea, yeah, that, that, that she deserved it at all, because like you said, it is explicit in the ancient sources that she lived at the end of the world. She literally lived as far away from humanity as physically possible. Like it was about to drop off into the edge of Oceanus. Like <laughs> she was not causing any trouble anywhere. It's just so interesting. Yeah. And, and you know, the only thing there is, you know, there's, 
you know, it kind of fits in with, you know, other Greek myth where, you know, the Argonauts or the the Greek expedition to Troy, you know, and, and others where they're trying to spread human civilization to the far corners of the world in order to conquer it and to subdue it, you know, subdue the barbarians. And then, you know, Herodotus picks up on this too with all of his, you know, nonsense about what is, you know, here be dragons and golding hands and stuff right <laughs> so yeah yeah i haven't read a ton of herodotus but what i've read are like little phrase like little passages and stuff i see every now and again i'm like i just i think you didn't totally know what was going on there mm-hmm. well yeah i mean medusa obviously is the thing i i go back to talking about her as much as possible especially with how many shit storms i've gotten into on twitter because i just feel like the more men try to tell me that she deserved to be killed the more i have to talk about how that's crazy mm-hmm. this is it your moment this is your time to make your comeback with purdue global when you come back with a purdue global degree you create opportunity for yourself your family and your future It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. The Home Depot wants every mom to have their own outdoor oasis this Mother's Day. Whether that be a new space to relax or a beautiful garden upgrade, at The Home Depot, you can give mom a gift that's as unique as she is with a stylish and comfortable place to entertain or relax for the mom who does it all. And with convenient delivery, you won't have to stress over getting it to her either. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers for the mom who's great with gardening? Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in our patios walkways and gardens with the home depot's mother's day savings event happening now get vigoro potting soil just $8.97 for strong healthy vibrant plants indoors and outside start your mother's day shopping and saving today by checking out the home depot's extensive selection online at homedepot.com or directly in store near you with convenient pickup and delivery options see homedepot.com slash delivery for details the home depot how doers get more done It took 11 years to get to the sale. The NYX anniversary sale is on now at knix.com. Celebrate the intimate apparel company that has reinvented products for real life with one of NYX's biggest sales of the year. Get 30% off all leak-proof apparel from the number one leak-proof brand in North America, including period underwear, swimwear, activewear, and more. Millions of people have made the switch to NYX leak-proof underwear, and there's never been a better time for you to try. Save 30% on super comfortable, machine-washable, and great-looking underwear that's perfect for periods and light bladder leaks. 
Choose from a variety of colors, styles, and sizes, from extra small to 4XL. You can even match your leak-proof underwear with an incredibly supportive and comfortable NYX wireless bra. Don't miss this chance to stock up on your NYX favorites or try something new. It only happens once a year at NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com for the NYX anniversary sale. Hurry, the sale ends on Monday, May 13th. Go to NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com. One of the other songs you sent me was about Cassandra, and I want to talk about that one because it was very interesting. So I don't know if you want to name it because I'm also going to forget who it was by. Yeah. <laughs> so this is uh, Cassandra by uh, Theater of Tragedy. Um, they're uh, a Norwegian band, um, you know, typically called gothic metal. Um, mm. And so, you know, um, and the song is it's a duet between, you know, a male and a, a man and a, and a woman vocalist, uh, which is, you know, pretty uh not uncommon not uncommon in that genre yeah and in fact this is a song that uh there's actually scholarship written on it um so Hmm. i I guess i should plug this actually if i want to do a little ad um even though i have nothing to do with it so a couple years ago was published the first edited volume of scholarship on classical reception in heavy metal music and by the uh by a KFB Fletcher, who's at LSU, and uh, Osman Umarhan at the University of Mexico, or I see them as sort of the uh, the the godfathers of uh, heavy metal classics uh, studies um, that yeah. I, I sort of came to a little later. Um, and so there's actually a uh, chapter um, in that volume called Cassandra's Plight, Gender, Genre, and Historical Concepts of Femininity in Gothic and Power Metal. And uh, it basically does uh, close readings of, uh, and it's by uh, Linnea uh, Osheda and Anna Foka, who I believe are scholars in Sweden. And they look at first uh, Blind Guardian, which is a, a power metal band uh, from Germany that, uh, you know, they have a song called, uh, and then there was Silence, uh, which, um, you know, talks about Cassandra kind of foreseeing her death in, in the Agamemnon mm. and the fall of Troy and everything. Uh, and then also um, the song Cassandra by Theater of Tragedy and which is more about her relationship with Apollo. Yeah, it, it was very interesting because it's about her relationship with Apollo. Also, the language they use is like very, for, this is me not being a scholar whatsoever. I'm going to call it old timey because mm-hmm. I can't think of a better phrase. Um, but it's quite interesting, the language they use. And then, but it seems to be like the point is kind of questioning her relationship with Apollo and what it actually was and therefore like kind of what she actually was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. And that, yes, that band's language is, is rather inscrutable. And so I don't really have, you know, um, too much to add on this. Um, but, cool. I'm glad I felt that way. <laughs> but, you know, it does. But again, it's like, uh, you know, the song Tears of Medusa by Ivanoir, where, you know, we are, we're bringing more complexity to this because we are getting, you know, kind of Cassandra or Medusa's perspective where, you know, it's not, you know, it's more complex than that. Um, Mm -hmm. And especially where, you know, we can see how these sort of myths kind of resonate with, you know, similar experiences, you know, uh, you know, that we have today with, you know, our romantic partners or, or whatever. And what happens there. 
Yeah. It was very interesting. I actually had to Google other uses of the word fond because mm-hmm. the chorus is basically like prophetess or fond. And I was like, I am definitely missing something in that word. So I yeah, they're using it to mean like foolish, it seems, which is quite interesting. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I don't know. That's just, It was an interesting one to listen to and also one to try to understand the English. So I'm glad to hear you kind of feel similarly on it yeah. because it, it makes it sort of difficult to totally understand what they're saying which maybe is on purpose or i mean they're also you said norwegian so well norwegians speak great english so that's not a good yeah so yeah i think that's sort of they're they're using some sort of like kunstsprache like you know like stage doric in greek tragedy right um you know intentionally to kind of bring that sort of arcane old-timey feel and Mm -hmm. um you know it reminds me of another there's another band that does things like that called wrathblade and they're a greek band and they have a lot of songs about mythology um also and so a lot of their lyrics use some very interesting vocabulary um you know you can check out so uh, for instance uh this is not necessarily mythology but it is uh they have a song called submersion uh and it is about the destruction of the polis of helike in the fourth century bce by an earthquake and tsunami um and uh I, i forget uh, who the source for this is. Um, but basically the idea was that they had offended Poseidon somehow. And so he, uh, basically destroyed the city that way because those are his things. Um, and you know, I just, it's one of my favorite songs in this, on this kind of topic. Um, but it also demonstrates kind of some of these key themes where the song is the basis for the album artwork of the album it's on, which is called uh, God of the deep unleashed where it's basically there's a tidal wave and about to about to overwhelm this uh you know this city with all these greek temples and stuff and everything's Mm. on fire and there's earthquake it's chaos metal loves chaos it's all about chaos right (laughs) um you know and then and then standing out over this tidal wave is this completely jacked poseidon who looks (laughs) like you know and then you listen to the song and it's like you know, the, the chorus is like, behold Poseidon. And uh, it's like, the song is so, it's so good that you forget that Poseidon is a fucking piece of shit. Uh, <laughs> uh, and you just, you know, and, that, and that's sort of kind of the seduction that a lot of this, a lot of heavy metal does with presenting these sort of kind of masculine kind of role models of you know you want to you want to be like these warriors you want to be self-sufficient you want to be in control you want to you know you want to like you know know how to use a sword you know because a sword <laughs> be a trident <laughs> because a sword you know because a sword is you know a much more manly weapon than a bow and arrow or a gun um because you have to face your look your enemy in the face and you know all of that and you know yeah. heavy metal is all about that so that was a bit of digression i Honestly, I just no, I, I just wanted to talk about that song and that album artwork because like it's one of my go tos where somebody's like, um, give me a song you like that is on this you know classical reception, um, mm. and they're just such a good band. They have other uh, great songs too, um, so I wanted to give a shout out to them. Well, it sounds great. I mean, I think that's really fascinating because it's not it's not like a you know it's not like a go to story from the classical world. Mm-hmm. Like I think that that's much more like deep cut kind of yeah um and that's what i love about the fact that classical reception is so widespread in metal that you know a lot of bands are not just going for the go-to topics like you know 
you know, like those you can imagine that are popular, they're going, there are a lot of bands that are, you know, they're looking deep into pseudo Apollodorus and Ovid and others uh, for, you know, myths that are, um, or stories that are, you know, less talked about. So for instance, actually Mm -hmm. the the same vocalist for um, Wrathblade also has a band uh, he's also the vocals for a band from California um, called Serpent Rider. And they have a song called Poor, Cor- Poor Fourth Circuitous. Uh, and it's a song about that episode from the Argonautica where Polydeuces has a boxing match with uh, Amicus, you know, the king who basically forces everybody oh, yeah. to box with him. And he usually <laughs> ends up killing them. And then Polydeuces, you know, finally shows up and he, you know, smashes his face and he drops dead. Um, and so it's it's a and it's a it's a wonderful little song about that episode that you know most people kind of forget about you know when they think about the story of Jason the Argonauts. Um, so um, yeah, but yeah, if you but again if you go back to you'll go to metalarchives.com, uh, That's metal hyphen archives. Uh, you can go search for basically any mythological figure um, or you know and chances are there's there may be a song that at least, you know, mentions them in as sort of a, in passing at least um, to kind of show that inspiration. I can't believe that exists. That's amazing to have like a full archive like that. Like that sounds so unrealistic to me. That's really exciting that that's a thing. Yeah. It's uh, it it really helps, um, you know, my, my, uh, it's sort of, it's sort of the digital humanities kind of aspect to my work where you have this database where I can actually like make charts and quantify, you know, how, you know, how classical reception works in metal, because there's just so much data out there that I can discuss, you know, trends that, you know, this topic was more popular in this year, in this part of the world, in this genre, um, you yeah. know, so many different uh, triangulations there. But yeah, it's, I, I encourage you guys to, to kind of run through that database um, because, it's just it's very rich um, diversity of stories by bands all over the world. You know, it's not just, you know, the traditional the bands that are traditional, you know, kind of epicenters of metal like, you know, Europe and the United States. But, uh, you know, bands from, you know, all the continents, uh, except Antarctica, probably, um, you Seems know, fair. Have, <laughs> have have stuff. And so and I think that's just going to continue as metal continues to diversify and globalize because, you know, classics and Greek mythology and all of that belongs to everybody. Um, and, sure does. You know, I mean, I take it, and I'm just very yeah. Canadian. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and there, well, there's certainly there's certainly plenty of uh, Canadian bands that uh, that participate too. So, like the ones yeah. That I mentioned. Yeah, that's very cool. Um, I think that my listeners would want me to ask, and also now I'm just curious, how represented are Hades and Persephone in metal? Um. So. Yeah, Persephone, you know, she's mentioned, but uh, I already mentioned, you know, how, you know, um, Burzum in Vargvikinus' band uses that that old piano Checo painting. Um, But uh, yeah, Persephone is is mentioned, but, you know, um, I haven't really looked too much into, you know, how much the Homeric hymn to Demeter is is used in metal. Um, I can't think of anything that that kind of pops out, but she is mentioned. So for instance, I think the band Therion has a, a song on Persephone that you can look up. Um, but certainly Hades uh, definitely is actually Hades is the only kind of were uh, mythological figure that has more hits than Medusa. If you type in mm. to metal archives, but, the, but that the reason for that of course, is that Hades is also a place 
Um, right. And uh, it's often used interchangeably with um, the Christian hell uh, underworld. Um, and, right, right, right. Uh, so, like, the song, like, the first song by Bathory on their first album is called Hades. And it's probably, and it has really nothing to do with Greek mythology, but that's just, you know, I mean, that's what the Bible calls hell. You know, yeah, Hades. I hadn't thought it about even, that. even calls it Tartarus at times. Um, so, oh. so it's really more. And so, and then that also is another interesting aspect of classical reception metal is how it seamlessly kind of melds with um, kind of Christian mythology. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Dante's Inferno and all of that. Um, the river, because Dante's Inferno is also, you know, basically Virgil's hell with extra steps, right? Uh, all mm-hmm. the rivers, more all intricate <laughs> pun- punishments, and uh, and all of that. Um, and so, and so Hades is seen as sort of this uh, kind of satanic figure, like like in the Disney movie. You know, it's not a hard, you know, step to take. So he's there. Though in terms of kind of how, this is a worthy transition here, uh, in terms of how, like, since a lot of metal is, especially more extreme genres, are attracted to this idea of Satan and hell as sort of these kind of symbols of the, of transgression and rea- and a rejection of, you know, kind of modernity and, you know, organized religion, um, et cetera, as well as sort of the celebration of you know liberating kind of one's animal instincts and whatnot their carnal desires um you know that have been so suppressed by say you know christian or or other forms of morality so the figure that is one of the most popular figures in heavy metals classical reception is prometheus Mm. Okay. Um, and again, this is, there's a long tradition of this, you know, if you look at Goethe and, uh, and Shelley, Percy Shelley, um, specifically, you know, kind of look at Prometheus as this kind of very much like Satan in Paradise Lost, where he represents sort of the liberation of humanity from the chains of um, subservience to, you know, a, a deity um whether it be Zeus or or uh the Christian god or otherwise um and he is sort of seen as a savior of humanity by bringing them forbidden knowledge um and so and then Mary Shelley plays with that too you know with you know Victor bringing the spark of of life uh to create um the monster um mm-hmm. and so um so a lot of bands are attracted to the Prometheus myth as this sort of symbol of um you know, the light of knowledge and wisdom, you know, being retrieved kind of illicitly from the control of religion in, in, hmm. in general. So Prometheus is sort of like this this uh, satanic figure. Uh, I think a good example is one of my favorite kind of Prometheus songs that you can, can listen to is by the Swedish symphonic metal band Therion. Okay. Um, and they have a song... Um, called uh, Prometheus Entfesselt, uh, which is actually in German. So, but you can easily put the lyrics into Google Translate. Um, and it's about, you know, again, um, it means Prometheus bound. Uh, and it plays with a lot of that. Um, you know, defy the law of Zeus is one of the lyrics there. It, it, really, it really speaks to metal's sort of core ethos as, you know, um, celebrating transgression for its own sake. Interesting. I It's funny. I mean, I 
should not be remotely surprised that Persephone's not in it a lot. Um, but I'm just so interested in that, mostly because like they're they are not my favorite at all. Um, I have my own feelings about them, but it seems to me that lately that's like the only mythological character that gets talked about beyond like deep mythology world. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm just so interested in why it is that they have become this like epic force. I mean, I think it's all yeah. based in like romanticism. Mm-hmm. So probably not like a metal <laughs> thing that it would take on or that would, you know, catch on pretty easily, but it's just an interesting interesting way that the the certain characters that kind of pop up is the most mm-hmm. talked about. Yeah, and I, I'm glad you bring that up because yeah, yeah, we see all sort of the the Hades and Persephone fanfic, you know, and and artwork and stuff and comics um but you know, romance it's turned into kind of this this romance and that's not really a topic that heavy metal tends to to dwell on just because mm-hmm. you know um, besides like hair metal clam metal pop metal from the 80s where it was all about celebrating you know sexuality and and liberation and all of that you know metal doesn't mm-hmm. really dwell on that because again this sort of um traditionally metal is this sort of uh Black Sabbath, for instance, they rejected singing about love that they did in the that rock bands did in the sixties, and said they were dwelling on you know darker themes of war and you know drug use and kind of disillusionment that you know the nineteen seventies was, and so metal doesn't metal sort of sees romance as sort of uh, in the same way that they kind of see uh, they have again the figure of the femme fatale where um, you know surrendering to that kind of softer side of your of one of oneself uh is you know relinquishing control in some way mm-hmm. um so it tends not to dwell on that too much but uh so persephone and hades is not really seen in that way um hecate is in, is 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 uh is somewhat popular though um, oh that's good meant generally because um metal is often fascinated with sorcerers and witches in general mm-hmm. um and again back to the femme fatale stuff with that um and so and so hecate is often invoked as sort of this uh you know as this force uh of the of darkness in the underworld um and you know kind of satanic rituals and all of that uh, fun stuff that yeah has, <laughs> has been in metal you know since the beginning so speaking of Hecate and a certain priestess of Hecate, I suppose we're mm-hmm. the next step is to talk about Medea. <laughs> yes. Um, um, but is she like a topic used often? Like, and, and is it because of witchcraft? Is it because of the murder? Like, yeah, what's the deal there? Um, so, I mean, Medea is, you know, not the most popular figure in metal like Medusa is. Um, but, you know, there's still a fair amount there, you know, um, on her and there's quite a range and that's um you know why it's so fascinating is that um just as you know uh she is variously interpreted you know um according to audience so for instance uh you know that it's, there's that old you know debate you know was euripides a uh a proto-feminist quote unquote or a misogynist in presenting in presenting the Medea and others um you know mm-hmm. aristophanes would certainly suggest that you know he was seen as a misogynist uh you know, with all the plays where it's like all the women are like, no, uh, we need to get rid of Euripides. He's making women look bad. Uh, and But of course, you know, various audiences have seen otherwise. And I think Metal's reception of Medea is similar, where we have some bands that 
you know, condemn her, some that are sympathetic, and then some that are conflicted. Um, so, for mm-hmm. instance, um, you know, one of my, uh, so one of one of the songs I talk about in the blog post is the song um, Medea by the Greek black metal band Kawir. Okay? And uh, Kawir are um, a good brand, good band to bring up in general because um, they're a black metal band from the early '90s that are still going strong, and uh, and they're from Greece, and they uh, are an example of a metal band that is not only interested in Greek mythology, but they are actually Hellenic uh, neo mm. neo pagans. Um, they're part of the growing movement in Greece and elsewhere, where you know the go- they're actually worshiping the gods that they sing about, and then and then mm-hmm. in the volume by. Uh, Umerhan and Fletcher, I mentioned, there's also a uh, chapter about how Kawir use uh, the ancient hymn format um, in presenting various songs to Dionysus and Zeus and other and other figures uh, in their in their music. But they also have a song about Medea uh, and uh, that song, you know, represents Medea as very much a kind of a metaphysical evil figure. She's very satanic. She's, you know, a witch and a sorceress um, and and murderous. Um, and because of that, she is, char- that actually, this goes back to the, the transgressive capital, right? Um, she's therefore an attractive figure to sing about in metal because she symbolizes that transgression. Mm-hmm. Um, so another popular person in metal that she is similar to with that song is Elizabeth Bathory. Okay. Since the eighties, mm. um, bands like Bathory and, uh, Venom, uh, and many subsequent, uh, kind of latched onto Elizabeth Bathory as this sort of, you know, ultimate symbol of transgression, murder, sexuality, um, the femme fatale, you know, and all of that. Um, and so, so queer kind of paint Medea like this. Uh, in a way. Um, I encourage you to look at that song. It's in modern mm-hmm. Greek, you know, again, run it through translator. But what's yeah. what's funny with that song, though, is, uh, you know, it uses some kind of more archaic, older meanings, certain words. So for instance, it refers to Medea in modern Greek as like a, a, uh, a pharmakis or pharmakeia or something like that. You know, words were if you're if you if you look at it, it's like, oh, that's the word for witch or magic or whatever. Type it into Google Translate and, and then you get lines like, uh, uh evil medea the pharmacist is like she <laughs> sorceress <laughs> practicing health insurance policies <laughs> it's like it's like well yeah health insurance private health insurance is metaphysically evil um you know, you know unlike and it's something in you know a country like the u.s where we have to deal with that unlike civilized countries anyway uh, tangent there so there's so there's that end of the spectrum and then there's other songs uh often by bands that are, um, you know, have women vocalists or women musicians um, where Mm -hmm. it's Medea's own perspective. And she is, you know, uh, it's very much like the Euripides play because throughout the Euripides play, you know, she is kind of vocalizing her inner conflict. Like she's like, I definitely got to get revenge. Uh, I definitely have to kill my children to do it, but I don't want to. And then finally yeah. she does it. And so these songs kind of represent a lot of those inner monologues uh, quite well. You know, bands like uh, Ex Libris um, have, uh, I believe they're from the Netherlands, I think. They're a symphonic metal band, uh, which have an entire album 
concept album Amadea, um, mm. you know, where she is kind of working through, you know, not just, you know, the decision of how to take revenge, but also um, her relationship with Jason, you know, where she's, you know, she's still in love with him, still under Aphrodite's or Cupid's spell. Uh, but on the other hand, you know, she was so, you know, wronged by him, you know, for, for obvious reasons. Um, so that's definitely worth checking out. And in fact, there's one song mm-hmm. where it's actually, uh, there's a dialogue between her and a, and a, and a, uh, a male vocalist, um, who plays Jason, um, and they're kind of, you know, they're having that back and forth that you get in Euripides play. Um, so it's, mm-hmm. you know, and that, and that's why I encourage you guys to listen to these songs because it's not just the lyrics, um, but also see how the music is, um, kind of conveying these, these these tensions and and uh and emotions and whatnot um and that's mm-hmm. what i really one reason i really think that metal is such a uh, a great medium to retell classical myth is you know metal is uh you know it channels you know through music a lot of these kind of violent emotions um and these kind of somber moods that you may not get necessarily in uh, other forms of music, though certainly other forms of music can certainly convey that, such as Joe Goodkin's, you know, um, you know, his folk acoustic bits on uh, the Odyssey and the Iliad are, you know, <laughs> really bring tears to your eyes as well. So, you know, metal is, you know, not not unique in being able to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I realized what we didn't say, and so I will put it up front as well. So you are going to give me a Spotify playlist that people can listen to as well, right? So we yep. can um people can definitely like google the songs that you've talked about but we'll also have there will be a spotify playlist in the uh, episode description so you can just link straight to it from listening to this episode and then get the real um yeah get kind of everything that you've talked about into in one place which i think will be perfect yes indeed and uh yeah and i encourage you also to you know to look at the artwork um for Mm -hmm. for some of the artists i've mentioned as well um because you know it's uh you know, metal is not just about sound or even, you know, words, but it's it's a it's a visual thing. It's meant to be performed um, live, just like Homeric poetry. Um, and so it's a it's a multimedia experience. Um, so there's plenty of, uh, you know, there's material culture and stuff to uh, to to consume here. As well. Yeah, well, and I mean, even just mm-hmm. the the few album artwork pieces that I've Googled since talking to you or while we were talking, even because I wanted to get the sense while you're talking about it, but they're, they're also epic. Like I think is the best word Mm -hmm. to describe it. And, you know, some are so over the top, like you're talking about that one of Medusa and, um, and Perseus Mm -hmm. and Medusa is so like hyper-sexualized in that one and and green and so like monstrous while also just being incredibly sexualized. It's an interesting sort of juxtaposition and understanding of her in that way. I think one thing we didn't touch upon mm. much was the Iliad and the Odyssey. Um, right. And so like the Odyssey, <laughs> be obvious. Yeah. You know, the Odyssey is one of the most popular, um, you know, stories, um, you know, from Greek mythology that's in metal and probably one of the most well known uh, for uh, pieces of Odyssey reception in one of the most iconic kind of, when people think of, oh, um, classical myth and heavy metal is uh, the song, The Odyssey by Symphony X, uh, symphonic metal song, metal band. Is um, is that the one you sent me? That's the one I sent you, yes. Okay, okay. yeah. And, uh, yeah. It is 26 minutes, so I bounced around yeah. it a little bit so, we, so I could still talk about it. But yeah, it was yeah. quite interesting and quite descriptive, like just mm-hmm. is the story in a song. Yeah, and, uh, you know, it's it's 
pretty exemplary of sort of how heavy metal um, sort of transforms the complicated man of Odysseus into a typical mm-hmm. heavy metal hero um, where, you know, we think of the Odyssey as, um, you know, he's a different kind of hero. You know, he uses his brains rather than his brawn. He's unlike Achilles, you know, he's wise and older and all that. Whereas heavy metal is just celebrates, you know, the energy of youth and, uh, you know, more physical, you know, masculinity. And then, so the Odysseus in a lot of metal songs is actually more like an Achilles. He, you know, they focus on his ability to use brute force, to get out of situations um, to, certainly in slaughtering the suitors at the end, uh, but also like, you know, the Cyclops and everything. Um, And also they show him as resisting the temptations of dangerous women um, not giving in. So all the, every time it mentions Cersei, it doesn't mention the fact that, uh, you know, they basically, you know, had an affair for a year uh, and that, you know, she took him to her bed after the, you know, after swearing the oath and everything. Doesn't mention that. And it was the easiest thing ever. It, yeah. Doesn't mention that. She's just, she's just, you know, a typical femme fatale witch oh. who, you know, tried to, <sighs> try to cat, bring him under her spell. And, you know, he, resisted um sometimes they don't even mention the hermes bit there um and then so basically and then basically his return to ithaca is basically the restoration of justice um and order um and he's you know uh kind of more one-dimensional as a hero um but in that way not not you not universal you know you know there's certainly some depth to him in, in certain instances um but that's generally the trend there um and mm-hmm. one of the most popular episodes from the odyssey that is in metal um probably more than anything else is the encounter with the sirens mm, a, um, that kind of suits yeah um again the sirens another example of you know the allure of you know highly you know sexualized um of women that you know threaten one's own control self-control or otherwise and uh so the siren songs are definitely there a lot um for instance the album artwork um to um the album the odyssey on which that song is um, by symphony x uh, is the uh episode from the sirens where odysseus is tied to the mast and if you look at odysseus he is you know arnold schwarzenegger conan the barbarian <laughs> long hair beard yeah. uh you know uh you know uh stacked uh and then the sirens instead of being you know the the bird women from from the ancient artistic sources um they are basically naked women um you know highly you know sexualized with demons bat wings okay that are kind of, of flying around the ship and the ship is in a yeah. storm because of course so this sort of gives you an idea of um kind of what how heavy metal is kind of kind of revisioning uh, these myths as sort of, you know, these, these, the sirens are these sort of uh, satanic, you know, witch figures um, mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, threaten, you know, the heroes, uh, distract the hero from their, from their quest and all of that. So hey, funny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's great. Yeah. I think that's so fascinating. I mean, the sirens in general, it's funny because it, it is such like a brief moment. So I like, but it suits. And I think that, that it would be something focused yeah. on a lot. Yeah. And just one more thing yeah. on that. Uh, so, you know, when you read the Odyssey, you know, what are the sirens actually saying to Odysseus? They're saying, hey, we know stuff. Uh, we have knowledge of all these things, past, present, future, mm-hmm. whatever. And if you come to us, you will also have this knowledge because, you know, he that's Odysseus. He wants to know things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and 
Whereas the sirens in heavy metal, they're always, they're offering, you know, their sexual allurements. Okay. They are attracted, right. they're attracting him to carnal knowledge, uh, if you will, <gasps> um, rather than, you know, um, the thing he, the things he was really after supposedly. Um, right. so that's, that's all consistent with what we've been talking about. Yeah, that sort of masculinity part. Mm-hmm. That's so interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely fascinating. I'm glad we got in Odysseus at the end. But thank you so much for doing this. This has been so fascinating. Yeah, it's a pleasure to talk about all this. And I'm glad we were able to cover, you know, a pretty wide range of, of examples and, and themes and, and certainly issues that are, you know, relevant to, you know, things beyond metal and, and classics. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think that's important, yeah. too. You know, how, why does this mm-hmm. matter? Yeah, exactly. Right. And I mean, the mythology is obviously the important thing or is an important thing for me. But obviously, you know, my show, I really want to try to kind of go beyond that and and look at how it impacts the modern world. So I Mm -hmm. think this is kind of a perfect way to do it all. But yeah, so where where can people find you? What what do you want to what do you want to share with everyone? Um, well, so you can follow me on Twitter at uh, Metal Classicist. Um, that's where I, you know, do a lot of my public engagement. Um, and you can also see my blog, uh, heavymetalclassicist.homeblog. Um, and also, uh, I have a Facebook page uh, called Heavy Metal and the Ancient World. Um, so those are kind of the main places. Um, I mean, and if you're interested in more of my scholarship, you know, beyond this, uh, I'm on academia.edu. Just search for Jeremy Swift. You can see some of the other things I've written on other topics because, you know, yeah. I do other things than <laughs> heavy metal reception. <laughs> you know, I do, I work on late antiquity and, uh, the reception of, uh, early Rome in the Roman empire. Mm. Awesome. That's so great. Uh, yeah, no, that's perfect. And I mean, highly recommend a Twitter follow for sure, because I have a lovely time following on Twitter. We've got, I love our little, or I mean, not our, I kind of jumped in at one point, um, but the, the world of classics on Twitter is quite a fun place to be. I really, I appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, a lot of memes and shit posting, but, and cats. So uh, yeah, a lot of cats, so, always so, a lot of cats. So, so, you know, <laughs> that'll be what you're getting into if you, if you follow me. <laughs> yeah. But I think that's fun. It's like, it's academic. It's, you learn a lot, but it's also like, everyone has fun. It's mm-hmm. great. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you again. I so appreciate it. Yeah. Anytime. Oh, nerds, thank you all so much for listening, as usual. I mean, I set it up front, so I won't repeat myself, but mostly just thank you. This is so much fun. I learned so much. You learned so much. We have a great time. Make sure you check out the Spotify playlist that we mentioned. Again, it is available in the episode's description. Um, even just like the album art on a lot of these things, these songs and, and albums are fascinating and really really interesting. So I highly recommend you check it all out. There's just, there's so much classical reception everywhere and it's really fascinating learning the intricacies and and all the little places in which mythology and Greek history appears throughout the whole modern world. What a time. Thank you all so much. You're the best. I am Liv and I love this shit. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. 
Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. The Home Depot wants every mom to have their own outdoor oasis this Mother's Day. Whether that be a new space to relax or a beautiful garden upgrade, at The Home Depot, you can give mom a gift that's as unique as she is with a stylish and comfortable place to entertain or relax for the mom who does it all. And with convenient delivery, you won't have to stress over getting it to her either. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers for the mom who's great with gardening? Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to Bring out the most in our patios, walkways, and gardens with the Home Depot's Mother's Day Savings Event happening now. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Start your Mother's Day shopping and saving today by checking out the Home Depot's extensive selection online at homedepot.com or directly in-store near you with convenient pickup and delivery options. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. The Home Depot, how doers get more done. It took 11 years to get to the sale. The NYX Anniversary Sale is on now at knix.com. Celebrate the intimate apparel company that has reinvented products for real life with one of NYX's biggest sales of the year. Get 30% off all leak-proof apparel from the number one leak-proof brand in North America, including period underwear, swimwear, activewear, and more. Millions of people have made the switch to NYX leak-proof underwear, and there's never been a better time for you to try. Save 30% on super comfortable, machine-washable, and great-looking underwear that's perfect for periods and light bladder leaks. Choose from a variety of colors, styles, and sizes, from extra small to 4XL. You can even match your leak-proof underwear with an incredibly supportive and comfortable NYX wireless bra. Don't miss this chance to stock up on your NYX favorites or try something new. It only happens once a year at NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com for the NYX anniversary sale. Hurry, the sale ends on Monday, May 13th. Go to NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com.